0: Thanks for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant pca.com.
1: Inerrant Word, Galatians chapter 2. We will begin reading in verse 15 again and read through verse 21. This is Paul, the apostle, writing to the church in Galatia. God's holy word. Give attention as he speaks to us. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. the grace of God for if justification were through the law then Christ died for no purpose the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God endures forever and ever praise be to God let's pray father we do come acknowledging that it's easy for our minds to drift it's easy for our minds to 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 drift off into the concerns of this world The pleasures of this world, we pray that you would keep our minds singularly focused upon you, high and lifted up. May may our attention be like that of Isaiah to you in Isaiah 6, recognizing your holy, holy, holiness, recognizing that you are a God who is at once awesome and fearful to behold, and one who is lovely and gracious and merciful to sinners we come father in your name asking you to illumine our minds that we might hear your voice in this time and not that of a man we pray this in the wonderful name of our savior who loved us and gave himself for us the lord jesus christ amen These sermons, beginning last week and on through the next few weeks, are all very basic. They, The general heading are the major tenets of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, they were convenient uh, to begin at this time because I'd finished the series in, in Mark, and uh, it was October, and and for those of us who love our Our biblical and reformed tradition, October is a special month, particularly as we we think of October 31st, and Luther's monumental uh, offering of the 95 theses on the the door at Wittenberg, taken off the door almost immediately and cast upon the, the relatively new press of the time, and and reproduced at uh, some tremendous pace, nothing quite like Kinkos or Staples, but uh, nevertheless rather swiftly and spread around, and it began to be a rage. People agreeing and loving it, and people disagreeing and hating it. Luther ends up over this, being called as a as a Roman Catholic priest, being called to a number of hearings. To speak for himself and to explain himself, but really, more truthfully, uh, the Roman Catholic Church didn't want him to speak or, or, or explain himself as much as they wanted him to recant and shut up. And on many opportunities, he took the opportunity to say, this is what the Bible teaches, and unless you can show me from the Bible, otherwise I can't stop saying these things, much like the Apostles In the early chapters of Acts, their response to the civil leaders being prompted by the Jewish religious leaders to stop teaching these things, quit preaching this resurrection, quit preaching this Christ crucified. And their response was, you do what you have to do to us, but we cannot help but speak the things that God has given us to speak. And Luther, as you know, finally was excommunicated, defrocked, put out of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, as it was in that day. Over these simple doctrines that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Something that simple had him cast out of a church. But it's that simple gospel that actually draws people into the church, the true church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the household of faith as the scriptures define it. And so these are elementary sermons and, and yet very important sermons because it's the message that, that saves dead souls, and gives them life. It's the message of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone that that raises miserable human beings and gives them meaning. Brings them joy and love and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. All those wonderful fruit of the Spirit. These are basic truths of the gospel. But unfortunately, they're not... uh, They're not often preached these days. More often, and this is not to be critical, simply to be historical, more often you listen to sermons and they're about how to do this or that. And by the way, how to smile while you're doing it. But you know, the only thing that can put a true smile on your heart is the gospel. The only thing that's going to stand up in the middle of the week when those how-to sermons are failing you when the world throws you a screwball, for those of you who are, who are, who are old-time baseball fans, they're now, back, they're, they're now reverse cutters. They used to be screwballs. Or if they throw you a curveball during the week, and that ball doesn't happen to fit into that how-to sermon on Sunday, you're dismayed. What do I do? But see, this gospel is always the same, and it's always the answer to whatever the the pitch that's thrown you during the week. Because what you end up doing when you know the gospel is you end up looking back to the cross and you end up looking back to 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 the empty cross and you end up looking back to an empty tomb and you end up looking ultimately to the heavens where your exalted, risen Lord is seated. And you know then that he's seated in his throne and that he's in control and that this screwball, this curveball, this split finger... This whatever happens to you is in his purview. He knows it's happening. As we saw on Wednesday night as we do our little, little elementary cursory float through the Shorter Catechism, which everyone, I would encourage to be here, studying the decrees of God, we were reminded that. When those hard things come, we just simply stand back and we observe God's decrees being unfolded before us. Observe his wonderful, matchless, powerful hand directing history from the left to the right, back to the forward. When your problems don't fit in that step one, two, three, four, five sermon, they will always fit in the gospel. That simple. And so as as we work through these basic tenets of the Reformation, we're also working through the basic tenets of the Christian life. Basic biblical truths. Last week we started with justification, an introductory sermon. And we looked at the whole issue of, of the fact that justification by faith alone has always been the teaching of the Bible. Paul says so in this verse. We ourselves are Jews by birth. And not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He says, look, it never was the case that anyone could be justified on their own ability to keep God's law. Never was the case. I reminded you that in Romans chapter 4, Paul, the very same Paul, goes to the Old Testament to prove the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That it was true for Abraham and it was true for David. Well, for a Jew, that settled it. If Abraham was justified before God, if he was in right standing before God by grace, through faith, in the Messiah to come, then should it surprise any of us that the gospel is still the same, that we're saved by grace, through faith, in the Messiah who has come. That's Paul's message to the Galatians. We're Jews. This has always been the message. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's not by works of the law. As good as the law is. And he tells us elsewhere, doesn't he? Paul tells us that the law is good and pure and holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. Its purpose was just simply not to bring us into right standing with God. It was to give us a way of living for God. So Paul tells the people here in Galatia who have fallen back and they are mixing grace and law and trying to make it all about, well, it's, it's about me and Jesus. And they, and, and they, they probably even... And this is probably where the country music guy got it back in the 60s. Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going. You know? There's some horrendous theology in songs, even hymns. That's why we're careful. Country songs, particularly, seem to be full of bad theology. It's not me and Jesus, it's just Jesus, plain and simple. We're saved by Jesus Christ. Nothing of ourselves. Paul's big on that. I want us look today at the issue of justification. We talked about justification. I've already said what it means over and over, but I've not pointedly made the point. So I'm going to make that the first point this morning. Justification. What does it mean to be justified before God? It simply means to be declared righteous, to be declared, declared in right standing before God. Who does that? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that it's God who declares us just. God is the only one that holds that prerogative. He is the one that has the authority to declare us right or not right with him. It's a forensic, a legal term. God made a legal declaration. That's why, folks, this is a legal deal. And it's then sealed, like all legal documents are. They're sealed in some way, sometimes by a, a notary seal, sometimes just simply by official signatures. In the days when Paul was writing, it would have been with a with a, with a piece of wax, you know, it would have been a written document, they would have folded it, and then where those pieces of paper met, in order to keep it sealed and together, they would have put some hot wax there and they would have stamped it with an official stamp of whoever was making this proclamation. Some of you children perhaps have have done that in some kind of craft uh, outing that you've done. They've taught you how to use the hot wax and the stamp to seal up a document. The Lord declared us righteous and then he sealed it. We talk about the sacraments of baptism and the sacraments of the Lord's Supper being a sign and a seal. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is, as it were, God reminding us that we are Sealed. The covenant has been sealed, but ultimately, how is it sealed? Ephesians 1 tells us that God seals our state with him, our relationship with him by the Holy Spirit. Now, that ought to bring you great comfort. God, in justifying you, declares you not guilty. You're right before me. You're no longer enemies. Remember what the Bible says, before Christ, we are enemies with God. We are hostile toward God, the Scriptures say. But then God declares us not guilty. We're no longer hostile toward Him. He's no longer hostile toward us. And He makes that declaration, and then He seals it with His Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, in Ephesians one that He is the guarantee. Of our redemption. Now that's universal language. That's something that's been true from earliest days. Somebody makes a deal. They seal it. They seal it with something very precious. Their name. In the case with God it's with his Holy Spirit. And what happens if you renege on that deal? What happens if you don't keep that part of the deal? Well, you know, in a real estate deal, you go into a deal and you put a, a, a guarantee or a, warrant, uh, a warranty, a down payment on it, that guarantees the people that you're going to go through with this. If you don't go through with it, what happens? You don't expect to get that $1,000, 2000 5000 $10 check back, do you? That was put there as a promise that this will happen. And if it doesn't, if I don't keep my word, you keep this. It's yours. Well, in this case, if God doesn't keep his legal act intact of justifying us, what's he liable to lose? The Holy Spirit. Now, I'll ask the most elementary, youngest Christian in this, in this house. Is it possible for God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit eternally existing as three in one, to lose part of himself? And the answer is no. God's not liable to extinction. He is forever. Cannot lose himself. That legal act, that forensic act, that declaration is as good as God is. And it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more sure than that. He's never failed to keep a single promise. Notice this in verse 16. Paul says that through faith in Jesus Christ we also have believed in in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. The tense and the And the voice of that word justified there, that legal declaration, is that it's always true. But it's always true because it comes from outside of us. See, if if we were the ones claiming ourselves, declaring ourselves to be justified, it could change. But the declaration comes from outside of us. Why? Why? Because the reason we're justified by God is from outside of us. God the Father declares us not guilty. Not because of anything we've done, we've read it. Not because by works of the law, no one can be justified that way. Paul says repeatedly in verse 15 and 16. But it's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. you know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have been just believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. It's Christ, the righteous one, that's the basis for the Father saying, concerning you or you or you, when you believed in him, not guilty. See, if you have trouble with assurance of faith, you need to look back to this and be reminded that I'm not a Christian because of anything I do or don't do. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's settled. As the word of God, we're told in Psalm 119, is settled in the heavens, so is The work of Christ settled. It's finished. He said so on the cross. One of those final words from the cross our Lord gave was, It is finished. His work is finished. It's settled. We're saved on the basis of it. It will not change. It cannot change. So if you struggle with assurance, you need to get your eyes off of yourself, off of your recent failure, and on to the success of Christ what Christ has completed, what he's finished on your behalf and my behalf. That's what justification. It's the Father declaring us not guilty because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now that brings us to the question then. Well then, does that mean everybody's justified? Does that mean the Father has declared everybody not guilty because of what Jesus has done? And the answer is no. Paul says in this passage so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ faith is the instrument whereby we're justified very simple what is faith what does faith mean let me just read you a few few attempts by human authors to say what faith is. We begin with, with Calvin. Calvin says, We shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm, now listen, a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now that's a little lengthy. I want you to notice a couple of things about that definition Calvin gives us. First of all, it is a possession of a firm and certain knowledge of what God has done. In other words, faith is in what God's done. Have you ever met anyone and you ask them why they think they're a Christian or or? What, what, what do they believe? And they say, well, I, I, uh, I believe in God. And you say, well, you, know, you have to have a more specific object of faith than just God in general. Because even the demons believe in God, James 2 says. And they, they even tremble. It has a visible effect on them. You've got to be a little more specific. Well, I just you know, I, I just have faith. There are people out there, you may have been like this, hopefully you're not like this now, but their faith is in faith. Just because they believe, you know, a lot of people talk about believing and having faith, right? Oprah has faith. She talks a lot about faith from what I hear on little snippets. I don't waste my time watching I heard someone recently, doesn't go to church, doesn't claim to be a Christian. I heard them say, I don't know how people without faith get by. What does that mean? They don't believe in God. They don't, I don't know how people who don't have faith, I don't know how they get by. Faith in what? Faith in faith. Or perhaps faith in themselves. Of course, that wouldn't give you much assurance because you have to look in the mirror every day. You know how wicked you are, how felt what a failure you are by the end of each day. Certain things you've just not done well or done at all. And your tongue, you've said things you ought not have said. You can't take it back, and even if you apologize for it, you still feel miserable. Faith in that? What's faith? Calvin says it's faith in God, in in God's benevolence toward us. His freely given promise in Christ, which is guaranteed to us, communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. So faith is in the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you notice how Trinitarian Calvin's definition of faith was? God's benevolence accomplished work of Christ, the application of all that by the Holy Spirit, we believe in a triune God. Listen to another definition of faith. This is by a more recent author, John Stott. He says, faith is to acknowledge our sin and helplessness, to repent of our years of self-assertion and self-righteousness, and to put our whole trust and confidence in Jesus Christ to save us. To put our whole trust and confidence in Jesus Christ to save us. You remember the definition, I'll give only a portion from last week's sermon from John Gerardo. marvelous vivid definition of faith. Faith invokes the absolute renunciation of merit and the absolute reliance upon the meritorious obedience of Christ. Is your Trust is your soul resting absolutely in the obedience of Christ, period. When we talk about faith being an avenue, a channel, an instrument to our justification, it means that we simply put everything of us aside and we put everything of us in the hands of Jesus Christ and his finished work. We hold nothing back. Jesus says you cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. It's all of you to all of Christ. That's what faith is. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews, and this is the most important of these definitions, but it corroborates what those <coughs> godly men have mined out of the riches of Scripture. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1 of Hebrews, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You can't see Jesus Christ this morning. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. You can't see the Holy Spirit, though he is with us and in us in this room. You can't see the Father exalted high on the throne, holy, holy, holy. But faith has convictions that take hold of that triune God and don't turn loose. That's what faith is. Who gives us faith? Lest we think again, we start thinking in terms of works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us that faith is a gift of God. So that none of us might boast. That's what Paul's saying here, isn't it? And you say, well, you keep saying it's by grace alone through faith alone. But you know what? As we read this last week and we read this this week, I don't see the word alone in there. But it is. Look at it. He says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now there are some translations that actually render this more fully. The construction of the little word that we translate in English simply as but could just as easily and I think better be rendered by works of the law but only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, whether you put the only in there, which many English translations just don't because they take it as redundant, they take it as as wordy, as unnecessary, because but is a stark contrast. It's not anything else but this. That singularizes. That particularizes faith. We are justified on the basis of the work of Christ, as we enter into relation with Christ, union with Christ through faith, our our little "n" word is is not quite as uh, not quite as uh, union promoting in our mind as as it is in the Greek. We're justified by faith in Christ. Now, we don't typically use the word into in a place like this. And that's why, again, English translators don't translate the word into or the word here into. But that's really getting at it. Because when we think of being into something, we're talking about something penetrating. Uh, Kaz was cutting some kindling this week to, to, to uh, for, for the winter to and for, for a, a bonfire Friday night for for some of the friends who were over, they were going to roast hot dogs and marshmallows. So he was, he was cutting, cutting up some, some old uh 4s pine tube little scrap pieces, you know, make wonderful kindling. And so he was cutting on them, and he cut several pieces, and they were laying off the side. And he cut one, and it shattered. Several pieces. And there was one little bitty skinny piece. With a very sharp end, went straight from the hatchet into one of the larger pieces of the kindling laying on the ground. So here's a here's a strip of kindling wood. Just envision that it's about this long, about that wide. Mr. Tom can envision this. He he likes good kindling. Now this is not rich pine, so it's not real hard. It's that soft, you know, lumber type pine. And that little splinter of pine went right toward that larger piece, and it penetrated it. It stuck in there, just like it was a dart. I reminded Cass, so that you know I'm a good parent, I reminded him that was a good reason why he's supposed to wear those safety goggles. What if that thing had gone this way instead of that way? If it would penetrate another piece of wood, it will penetrate your eyeball. That should rem- reminded you that assured you I'm a good dad. That little bitty, little bitty splinter going into the larger piece of wood went into that wood. When we believe in Jesus Christ, faith takes us into union with Christ. We're united to Him. Just as that, in a a sort of kind of sense, of when that wood penetrated that other piece of wood, there was a union formed. We're united to Christ. Some of you remember from 18 or 24 months ago, preaching on union with Christ in the morning series, and I used that wonderful illustration Dr. Robert Raymond uses, of union with Christ, that there's this great, umbilical cord between every believer and Christ. We're, we're drawing our nourishment from Christ. We're united to Christ. We're totally dependent upon him. what happens if in the womb, a baby, that something happens to that umbilical cord and it's twisted or knotted and the nourishment can't go to that baby. On the other side, when it's flowing freely, there's nourishment. The baby grows and grows until that point of maturity when it's then brought into this world. We're united to Christ <clears throat> through faith. Faith kind of loses, kind of gets then lost, doesn't it? Not that it's not important, but because it's, it, it brings us to that point where the Father says, not guilty. Faith looks forward to that declaration of not guilty, but faith looks back to what Christ has done. So faith never ends up being about, wow, what what I am or who I am or what I've done. It's all about what God's done for me and what Christ has done for me. Whenever you think of faith in Christ, you're thinking about what Christ has done and what the Father has done for us on account of what Christ has done for us. And we only know that because what the Holy Spirit's done in us. You're getting justification by faith alone in Christ alone when you get to that point. Where somebody says, well, yeah, but it was your faith, wasn't it? No, it was Jesus. No, it was the Father. No, it was the Holy Spirit. Conversations always deflected away from us onto the triune God for what they've done. Faith in Christ brings about justification, Paul says in these verses. And then quickly I want us to just see one little thing. This faith in Christ that sets the stage for the Father to declare us not guilty also sets us on a course of holy living. Do you see that in verse 20? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith. See, when you talk about having believed in Jesus and having been justified, you don't stop talking about faith at that point. Faith continues being integral, in fact, necessary. For every moment, every day of life, but it's faith in Christ always. It's no longer I who live, but I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith brings us into union with Christ. It brings about the declaration of, of the Father, that we're not guilty any longer. And so we can revel in in Romans 5, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it also causes us to look forward and know that we're walking no longer by the flesh, no longer in the flesh, no longer in the power of our own being, but we're walking by faith in Christ. Just as repentance is necessary for every day of life, Faith is necessary. So necessary that Paul tells the Romans in chapter 14 that whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Children, that's why we pray at our meals and we ask the Lord to give us faith to eat this meal in a way that honors him. Because if we eat without faith, we're sinning. We can eat the best health food in the world. You know, barbecue, <laughs> potato salad. I love this one, you know. Turnip greens. They're good for you, except for all that fat that's mixed in. A lot of people cook the. Yeah, okay, I won't go there. But if we don't eat that good food, believing that God gave it to us for our nourishment, it's sin. Faith. God gives it to us. It's directed immediately back to God in all of his persons. Isn't that marvelous? You think about it that way. Here our great God is, seated in in the heavens. The Father, the Son at His right hand. The Father and the Son are are always sending the Holy Spirit back to earth to His people to bring them conviction of sin, to bring them into the household of faith, bring them salvation, bring them comfort, bring them peace. He gives us faith, and the faith comes down from Him, and it goes right back to Him. We say, Lord, we believe in You. Help our unbelief. And God's not selfish. He gives faith so we can, get, we can turn it right back to him. He gives us faith so that everything we do will bring him glory and bring his people good. It's faith alone. And it's not just for our justification. It's for our sanctification, as Paul tells us. We don't live our life now in the flesh. We live it by faith in the Son of God. And you know what? It'll be faith that sees us through those hard days when the screwballs and the curveballs and those high fastballs under the chin come at us. It won't be sitting there trying to figure out which point of that how-to and "who done it" sermon counts. It'll be faith in Christ that'll get you through that hard day. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Is that where you are? Do you live by faith in Christ? I trust that you do. Pray that you do. Ask the Lord to give you that faith. Father, we thank you and ask you now. As we've come into your household to hear your word, we love it. We love the household of God. It's where we come for spiritual nourishment, it's where we come for the communion of saints. It's where we come to be encouraged and built up, instructed. It's where we come to be reproved, where we come to be corrected, where we come to be exhorted on to greater faithfulness. We do love your house, Lord. And now as we sing about it and as we go out unto this day, may we tell people how much we loved being in your house. Tell people how much we love our Savior. Tell people how wonderful it is to live not by the works of the law, not by the power of our own flesh, but to live by faith in Christ alone. And We do pray this for your good namesake. Amen.
0: Three. Thanks again for listening to this audio sermon from the Pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church. These sermons are provided for the edification of church members who wish to hear the sermons again and for those who are providentially hindered from attending our services. We believe the Bible teaches there is no substitute for faithful attendance to worship and membership in a Bible-believing evangelical church. If you are in the East Tennessee area, we encourage you to visit our church in Oak Ridge. If you reside elsewhere, we encourage you to seek out a good church in your area. For help in doing so, or if you have any other questions or comments, please contact us at CPC Sermons at gmail.com again you may learn more about us by visiting our website www.covenant-pca.com blessings to you